0: Well, welcome. This is a special episode we're having here live at the AAOS annual meeting in San Francisco to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the PAC. Very excited to have our two guests today. We have Dr. Stu Weinstein from Iowa, who's a former PAC chair, and we have Dr. Wayne Johnson from Oklahoma, who is the current PAC chair. Welcome to both of you. Excited to have you and talk about what we're doing with the PAC and then hopefully the future of what we're going to be doing.
1: Dr. Bruggeman, thank you for having us today. We're excited to be here.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. It's really an important occasion and one we're happy to be celebrating with you and the entire membership. Thank you.
0: Let's talk about a few of the things that are coming up. Wayne, maybe you can highlight some of the events that we have coming up for PAC members and for the membership in general to commemorate this event.
1: We're excited. It's the 25th anniversary of the AOS Ortho Pack. And so all week long we'll be celebrating beginning with our ortho Pack Donor Lounge and Booth, which are open every day in a new location. And we're excited to be at this new location. It's called ortho Live, and it's in Moscone West, and it'll be open from 7 in the morning to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. We also will have our Donor Lounge there as well, and so we hope that our members will come by and get some of our we like to call orthopack swag with some jackets and some commemorative items to include our new 25th anniversary pen with our tagline and logo on the bottom called Unity in Orthopedics. And it's the Tree of Andri. So what we have in common is the Tree of Andri. We're all about making patients better. And Unity in Orthopedics, we have 23 subspecialty societies, 50 states and territories, and regional societies. We want all of them to recognize that when they work together with the PAC, we can accomplish more on behalf of their patients, their profession, our profession, and their practices. So that's where the unity comes in, and I think that's going to be helpful moving forward as well. On Tuesday the 13th, we have two events. Beginning in the morning, or right before lunch, we'll have our annual donor appreciation lunch from 11.30 to 1. And we're doing something a little different this year. Instead of having a traditional political speaker that you might see on Sunday morning talk shows, we're going to have Dr. Flannery from Oregon, and he practices as an ophthalmologist and is affectionately known as Dr. Glockham Flecken by his four million followers on social media. And so he'll give us some humor as well as some insight into the current political system with a little satire. So we're excited about him so that anybody that donated in 2023 or 2024 can participate in that event. And then lastly, we'll have our Orthopack reception for our residents and our Capital Club members at the Harlequin. And that's located at 68 4th Street. 68 4th Street is right across from the Marriott Marquis, about a two or three minute walk from Moscone, and it'll be from 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock. So we hope that uh, we'll see many of our members there. We're excited to come celebrate the 25th anniversary of the OrthoPAC with us.
0: If you haven't listened to Dr. Glockenflecken or seen some of his videos on YouTube or on TikTok, you just absolutely have to watch them. They are incredible, and they bring such levity to very important topics that we talk about all the time when we advocate for our patients. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for introducing those events. I really did want to talk a little bit about the history. How did we get here? And I think, Stu, you bring such a wealth of knowledge of the history of the PAC and where we've been and how we've gotten here. Could you highlight some of the things that you feel have been the biggest accomplishments of the PAC over the
2: years? Yeah, I think the first thing for everyone listening to know is that we've had a PAC since the mid-80s. The Washington Office of the Academy was established in 1979 to advocate for increased research funding through the NIH. And then we had a PAC organized by the Board of Counselors in 1985. But then in 1996-97, the Board of Directors wisely realized that with the government increasing their hand in our business of taking care of patients, that we needed to have a bigger Voice on Capitol Hill. And that wasn't possible through our original 501c3 organization. So the board at that time wisely chose to start a second organization, the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons, and that's our blue circle at the moment. When you see things in blue, that's the association. And this gave us a chance to set up a political action committee with what's called a separate segregated fund, because the money is kept separate from the organization's treasury. This allowed us to step up the game be very active in Washington, D.C., to augment the wonderful services we have from the Office of Government Affairs, but to really get us at the table by having a vibrant PAC. So the PAC started in 1999 and has grown since.
0: That's wonderful. Are there some major legislative changes, elections that you feel that the PAC has
2: been involved in that have really impacted orthopedic surgeons and our patients over the years? Sure. Well, my advocacy history started in 2003 when I was second vice president of the academy, and the biggest issue facing orthopedic surgeons and other specialists was medical liability reform, the loss of carriers, the escalating settlements as far as pain and suffering. So we formed a coalition called Doctors for Medical Liability Reform, which I was privileged to lead which basically had membership of half the doctors in America. And that's where we really started to work together with other organizations because it was a common issue facing us all. But then as time went on and I became chair of the PAC in 2006, the biggest issues facing us were how we get paid, the sustainable growth rate. So that is a flawed formula that was used to reimburse physicians under Medicare. And it took us 15 years <laughs> And I think that's another important fact for members to understand is that advocacy is not like we practice orthopedic surgery. We have a patient that's injured in the emergency room. We make the diagnosis. We get to the OR. We fix the patient. We get them rehabilitated. Advocacy doesn't work like that. It takes patience and persistence. And to repeal the SGR, which was something we worked on every year, took 15 years. We would get a fix every year. And finally, it was Sunset. So that was a major issue we worked on. And finally, the macro legislation in 2015 was something that all medical specialties worked on because it rewards quality as opposed to quantity. And we wanted value-based care to be the mantra for health care delivery in the United States. So those were several of the big issues. And those are great lessons. We know, and Wayne's involved in this
0: fight today. Macro, we thought was a good solution, maybe wasn't as great of a solution sitting here today. It's not like a sitcom. We don't get to turn on the TV and 30 minutes later, all of our problems are solved and we move on to the next day. Unfortunately, it takes a really long time. And Wayne, you've been involved in the day-to-day slog of the Medicare payment reform that has, again, just like liability reform, has caused the whole house of medicine to come together and say, we've got to fix this thing again. What are your thoughts on how that's going and how we're involved in those things?
1: Yes, here we are some almost 10 years from when we had the 2015 legislation that was so successfully passed after 15 years of fighting was mentioned by Dr. Weinstein. So now we have a bill, HR 2474, that is really working to try to tie our pay to inflation. We noticed that the hospitals and the skilled nursing facilities Especially as more people are aware today, we've had a lot of inflation in the last two or three years. I believe it was up to 9%, and then it dropped to 5%, and it may be in a 3 to 4% range. But nonetheless, we're lucky if we stay at parity. And so, really, if you're not keeping up with inflation, you're getting behind, and it was making it more challenging for our members to be able to pay for their staff and for their overhead and expenses. So, if we can have our reimbursement tied to the Medicare Economic Index, I think that will put us all in a better position than we've been in years past. While we're still fighting to avert the cuts that were mentioned by Dr. Weinstein, because those are we're in their ugly head now. We just had a 3.4% cut coupled that with inflation, that's seven or eight percent. So we have to fix the flawed payment system.
0: And these are all great things that the PAC is involved in and supporting and continuing to support for our surgeons and our patients but we also help support candidates. We had our first orthopedic surgeons who were elected while you were the PAC chair. We had Tom Price and we had Senator Barrasso elected. Can you comment a little bit on how we've helped physicians either decide to run in races, we've helped them win races, and continue to carry that voice that's so important in the
2: halls of Congress? I think what's important for our listeners or viewers to understand is that particularly in our current climate, which is so divisive, is that the ortho PAC is our only voice on Capitol Hill. And we are a pragmatic PAC, not an ideologic PAC. And we are party blind. And we support candidates who support our issues. And that's sometimes, I think, very hard for members to grasp that concept because you can't turn on the television without some polarization depending on what channel you listen to. But we're only interested in our patients and our profession. And hence, we support candidates who support the doctor-patient relationship and how we improve access of patients to our care and how we can make the quality of that care better. But we also really wanted to encourage members in our own community, the orthopedic community, to consider running for office because there's no better way to be at the table than actually to be an elected member of Congress. And so we've contributed and helped support education programs for members who want to run for public office. And certainly we support their candidates. The orthopedic surgeons are our number one priority if they're considering running for elected office. I was mentioning to somebody earlier today that the 15 years that I spent a week a month on Capitol Hill were the happiest years of my life because I felt I was carrying the water for our patients and our profession. I felt really good every time I went there that I'm asking only for things that help patients access to our care or the quality of that care. And by going there and by members going and building relationships with members of Congress, that's the only way our voice can be heard. And that could be as simple as in your own congressional district. It's very hard, you know, if you live in a large state like California to have a relationship with United States Center. It's such a big state, but there are many of us who live in small rural states where access to our members is expected. And we can, by supporting them, if they understand our issues, you can build a really rich relationship such that they're calling you about. What do you think about this legislation? Or what about this regulation that you've told me about that's interfering with your ability to care for patients? So That's what it's all about for our members is access to members of Congress, the ability to present our case because there's plenty of people who think they know what's best for our patients. And so once you have that access and the opportunity, and then a lot of us have had wonderful opportunity to develop relationships with members which are trusted on both sides because they're state of Iowa, they're hearing from the teachers union, the farm bureau, and I'm only one constituent who has an issue that I want to bring to their attention. But when you have a relationship, your issue rises a little bit higher in their mindset. And so I think that's one of the things that our members should realize that the PAC can do for them, build relationships.
0: Yeah, that's great. Wayne, we're seeing over the course of this time, we're seeing a major change in the way people practice medicine. We're seeing where they practice medicine changing dramatically. 25 years ago, talking about 70 to 80% of doctors being employed would have been unheard of or unthought of. How do you think the PAC is evolving to adjust and manage these changes to the physician practice and where they actually practice?
1: We're trying to get our members to realize that whether you're in private practice or an employed or academic setting, they also have the same issues as private practitioners with prior authorization. They want to have access to high quality care like physician-owned hospitals. So we all have the same interest. So advocacy partnership, they have to partner with the AOS. Many of the issues that impact hospitals may not impact orthopedic surgeons. That's what we try to get them to appreciate and understand that we can work on their behalf and probably more so than the hospital association. So that brings
0: a really great kind of thought process to what do you think, or how do we communicate to this next generation who may not find engagement within advocacy as important as those of us sitting at the table and people who've come before us as well have thought about advocacy and the importance of going once a month for several years to DC. They may not understand that. They may not get that. How do we reach this next generation? How do we help them become leaders through the academy and through the PAC?
2: Yeah, I think that's a critical question and it requires education. It's constant drip feeding because I think the average orthopedic surgeon is just geared to how do I take care of patients better? How do I keep up with my skill set? How do I bring what's new into my practice? But the fact of the matter, even if you're a resident, funding of medical education, graduate medical education is an advocacy issue. And every issue that faces you, whether you're an employed physician, you have a private practice, you own a hospital... They're all issues that the PAC is fighting for. We're not fighting for one single model of practice. We want you to be able to practice orthopedics as you see fit, but we want to make sure that patients always have access to your care and that you can always improve that quality. So, educating our residents is really critical and engaging them when they're residents keeping them engaged after they've finished residency, they're in fellowship, kind of gap year or two, and then they start a practice. It's a constant communication, constant drip feed as to why this is important to your patients and to your practice. It's an education, and I think the PAC is doing a great job in bringing residents to the NOLC, bringing them here to the academy meeting, showing them the power of advocacy. And I think what's... Really enfranchises to know that the power of being an advocate. But so much better to be on Capitol Hill or in your congressman or woman's office than it is complaining in the locker room about how bad things are. When you go there and actually are a participant, you have a tremendous sense of I'm doing something to make things better.
0: And frankly, nobody's done that better at the resident level than Iowa, bringing residents every year to NOLC, helping them see and get involved, and then watching those residents become attendings or private practicing physicians who ultimately come back and become a part of the BOC and the BOS. It's really an important foundational change to the academy, and I really appreciate your time and efforts doing that. Wayne, younger generation, really loves social media. We got Dr. Glockenfleck coming, and he is a master of utilizing social media. Are there some ways that we can continue to use social media? I know you do as well, to encourage this younger generation to jump in and, and use and become a part of what we're doing at the Academy of Our Advocacy efforts.
1: That's a great question, Dr. Brugman. The younger generation I've found are extremely engaged in social media, so we have to meet them where they are. So whether they're on Instagram or on LinkedIn or Twitter, we try to communicate with an omni-channel purpose, and we also communicate to our more mature members who want to be communicated with, say, through headline news or AOS noun, emails, And our younger members may prefer text, So we try to discover what's going to be the most effective communication for them. We're utilizing OrthoInfo, for example. They have 35 million visitors every month. So we want to use every channel. We want to use an omni-channel approach. And then dovetailing to what Dr. Weinstein has said, not only did he champion and have Iowa really get involved in advocacy, but because of that effort, eight other states have 100% participation or near 100% participation in the orthopedic pact. Now he's got states like Oklahoma, Puerto Rico, Mississippi, University of Colorado, and Mammonads being involved as well. So we want to champion not just through our communication with them, but we want to get them involved in the resident assembly, the advocacy council, get trained up. And like you do with the advocacy council for the Aaos, you have a young resident member, and we have a young resident member or young fellow on the orthopac board as well. So we want to engage them. We want to bring them to the National Orthopedic Leadership Conference. We want to bring them to Capitol Hill. We want to get them involved early on so they see the importance of advocacy for the rest of their career, and they also tell their friends and colleagues.
0: I don't know that we knew 25 years ago where the PAC would be today, but it's a powerful force in Washington, D.C., But our voice is only one of many, and our voice is even stronger when we're together. Stu, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You've built some incredible coalitions over the years with other physician groups, with other physicians, particularly through medical liability reform. Your thoughts on the importance of coalitions, our physicians not only being involved maybe in the academy, but continuing to reach out to other members of physician groups or even joining other physician groups like the American College of Surgeons, the American Medical Association, who can continue to help us push that voice together.
2: Yeah, I think that's an extremely important point, and the only reason that we... So there are issues that are purely orthopedic, and there are issues that are generic to the House of Medicine or parts of the House of Medicine, and because we have an impeccable brand in Washington, and we've had the good fortune to have our members, by and large, understand the importance of the PAC, when there is an issue that's purely orthopedic, we can go it alone. But when there's an issue that's generic to the House of Medicine or, let's say, the surgical societies, we've been able to bring people together to form coalitions, like the Practice Expense Coalition was one, the NIAMS Coalition, Doctors for Medical Laboratory Reform. So I think another important message in this coalition is a coalition amongst ourselves. And I think one of the dangers actually for our profession is fragmentation within the profession as. Most orthopedic surgeons are specialists and belong to specialty societies. It's important that we advocate together because if we're not together, it's very easy for members of Congress to tread water, do nothing because we're not united. And so I think one of the important things that we should remember as a profession is that we need to be together to have a stronger voice. And if we don't do that, then we're hurting our patients' causes because the Members of Congress are not interested in a single joint or a single procedure. (laughs) They're interested in how do their constituents get access to orthopedic care and how are you men and women improving the quality of the care? Is there something we could do to make that better? Is something we're doing interfering with your ability to improve that quality of care?
0: That's wonderful. Well, I thank both of you for your time today. Certainly hope that those listening get to this and are able to come to some of our events tomorrow, including the lunch with Dr. Glockenflecken, which I think will be very interesting and enlightening for everyone, as well as our reception tomorrow night thank you again for both of you and what you've done. Thank you for the efforts you've done for not only for me, but for the people coming in front of us and really most importantly for our patients. We owe a great debt of gratitude to both of you and I look forward to what the next 25 years brings. Thank
2: Thank you thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Dr. Bregman.